Now, Jim asked me to, to come and, and recognize four of our star freshmen who really aren't freshmen. Technically, they are, but once you get to know them, you realize that they are really outstanding individuals who not only represent their districts really well in their states, but have really added so much to our conference and so much to this conference. And then Jim tells me on Friday, can you give a little update speech as well in terms of what's going on on Capitol Hill? <laughs> it just never ends. <laughs> uh, and and I, I think all, all four of our, our members who are here would tell you that, that last week was a, a pretty amazing week. Speaker Boehner likes to say, if your political opponent is committing suicide, get out of the way. Right? And, and that's probably our, our biggest challenge is we have so many things happening in this town with respect to the president and the administration, it's challenging just keeping up with them. And, and I gotta tell you, if you look at, some have gotten more publicity than others. Obviously, the, uh, the, the Benghazi uh, storyline continues, and we have members here who've been involved in that. Uh, the AP uh, scandal uh, appears to be growing uh, a bit. You have the HHS uh, insurance, or not insurance, the HHS uh, uh, secretary contacting folks that she regulates uh, about donating money and that, but that hasn't got as much publicity. You have the EPA and, and them treating some groups different than other groups in terms of document charges. And then you have the IRS scandal, which I believe has the most blame. So let me tell you why. I believe it has the most legs. I was home over the weekend, I was out and about, and, and had people talk to me about all those issues. But the IRS one, I, I'll tell you, not like any other, has Democrats, non-political independents, business owners, other individuals, people who don't pay attention to government, kind of on their toes, because they know it could happen to them. Aside from what happened, this is something that I think just sends chills down regular Americans' spot. I don't know about the, the four, five of you uh, who are in the audience today, but since last, in the last week, we have had contacts to our office from individuals, not just in my district, but from around the state, who feel as though they've been contacted by the IRS. I use contacted lightly. Uh, because of, of a, a political issue. Let me just give you one example. I was contacted by a former uh, legislator that I served with for eight years, a Democrat that I have a great relationship with. And he called me and said, Pat, I have a friend of mine who I went to law school with who, who does nothing but tax in Northeastern Ohio. So he is a, a lawyer who does tax work. He has a client he has a client in another state who's a radio talk show host. And he has a conservative radio, and this is not a national guy, this is a, a local talk show host in a, in a city outside Ohio. And he's been very critical of the administration. And as soon as he started being critical of the administration, coincidentally, he got audited. And he got audited by the Cincinnati office. So. Apparently, over the last month, they have they had a meeting where he taped 
the IRS agent, who apparently made comments to the effect that he was being targeted because of his talk show. So uh, I haven't met with him yet. I, I talked to the congressman last night who represents the area, and, and we're going to have a, a phone call today. And that, that is just one of several that have come to, to our attention just in the last week. So I think this has a whole lot of legs, and I think it's going to uh, it's going to make it really difficult for the administration to get its agenda across the next two years. Now, having said all that, Chairman Camp, who did a brilliant job, by the way, last week in setting up the hearing and helping the members uh, focus on certain things during the hearing, uh, I think he's right when he says, and he has said this now for the last week, that this actually we believe, gives us momentum for comprehensive tax reform. Democrats and Republicans on the committee both agree that because of the complexity of the code and the discretion that the IRS has, uh, has, has in part led to this. And so it makes an argument that we need to give the IRS less discretion by simplifying the code. But what better way for the administration to try to get this IRS scandal off the front page than working with Republicans to get comprehensive tax reform done in a way that simplifies our code. Now, obviously, there's still philosophical disagreements that we have to get through, but in a odd sort of way, we uh, we think that we have the ability to get the administration to the table a little bit better than we did before. And, and I would also give a shout out to Dr. Bustani. We all think of him as the guy, the healthcare guy, but he has really done a great job of, of pushing the IRS in a professional way and will continue to do so as the point person on this issue. So that's my speech, Jim. Hope that measures up to your, uh, to, to, to your heights. But more importantly than listening to me, I'd like to introduce to you four individuals who, if you haven't, as I said, got to know yet, you will really enjoy and like. And I'll go in alphabetical order. Tom Cotton a sixth-generation Arkansan. Man, that is just amazing. Uh, you know, my, uh, my mom and dad think of me as a sixth-grade, sixth-generation Abruzzes. Uh, so, any of you haven't been there, the wine is really, really good. Uh, and it's a bit of a rural area as well, Tom. But uh, Tom, what, I mean, this is just amazing, uh, amazing background. Raised on the family's cattle farm. He uh, went on to graduate with honors from Harvard College and, and Harvard Law School. Afterwards, he clerked for U.S. Court of Appeals and then entered private practice. And if you, know, if, you, if you listen to Tom, you know Tom. One of the great things about Tom is you wouldn't think he's a lawyer because he's pretty normal. Uh, he just doesn't come across that way. Bright, but not lawyerly-like. Finally, 9-11, he left his private practice to join the Army, where he spent five years as an active-duty infantryman receiving the Bronze Star Medal for his efforts. He currently serves on the, financial, on the Foreign Affairs Committee and the Financial Services Committee. He's being recruited to, to run in a seat in Arkansas to be part of the lower chamber across <laughs> the street. Uh, I know many people hope he does because he'll, he'll probably win. We hope he stays 
because he's just an outstanding addition to our conference. Please welcome Congressman Tom Cotton. Yeah, thanks very much for that generous introduction. Um, and for saying that I don't sound like a lawyer, since I always say I'm a recovering lawyer, or that might be a reflection of my legal skills that after a couple of years I had to leave and go to basic training in the Army. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned Grogan uh, as a sixth generation Arkansas, not just six generations in Arkansas, but actually in my small little home county. Uh, and you've developed deep roots there. Uh, the Democratic Party of Arkansas recently sent an opposition researcher uh, to our courthouse to uh, get all public records not just for me, but for my mom and dad as well. Uh, and the county treasurer, a Democratic elected official, uh, after this party operative call, immediately called my mom and told my mom that they were coming. <laughs> so they went and met it there at the courthouse. <laughs> Very cool exchange. And my dad's response was, does he really think he can come to Yale County after my family's been here for 160 years? And I'm not going to know that he's here. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you all for inviting me this morning. Uh, it's a real honor to be at the Rupert Society. As Jim said, uh, it's named after one of the founding locations of the Republican Party. Uh, and it's an honor, I think, to be a part of the Republican Party because of our noble history of standing for freedom. Uh, as Jim said, uh, the Rupert Society was a driving force behind landmark civil rights legislation, as was the Republican Party. You know, if you go back to our founding, uh, we had certain basic principles, uh, but one motto was uh, free men, free soil, and free labor. The free men part being that we stood for the abolition of slavery, the gradual abolition of slavery over time. Uh, that's what Abraham Lincoln campaigned on in 1860. Uh, we were the party that recognized that all men are created equal, and that just as no man is born with a saddle on his back, no man is born with spurs on his feet. Uh, free soil, but the government can help provide opportunities for people to get ahead in life, for men like Abraham Lincoln to get ahead in life, no matter what station they're born to in life, do things like the Homestead Act, which is one of the great landmark laws that created economic opportunity and helped spread America across this continent, um, or free labor, that the government shouldn't uh, sing out specific industries or businesses or give anyone a hand up uh, or a hand down, as opposed to creating a fair and equal playing field for all. Special rights for none, uh, equal uh, opportunity for all. That's what that principle meant. And that's what we stand for today. As Pat mentioned, uh, the IRS scandal, I think, has probably made comprehensive tax reform more likely rather than less likely. And the IRS scandal, I think, is a big story. Um, I don't think it's just a story, though, for what it does to the president's momentum, uh, or what it does to stalling other of his agenda items with which we might not agree, but for what it embodies about the modern state. A government that is big enough to do anything for you is big enough to do anything to you and must know everything about you. It's a scandal if political appointees in the IRS or the Treasury or the White House were directing the IRS employees to do anything like what they did, target Christian or Jewish or conservative groups for special harassment or intimidation or audits. Or some of the reports we've heard auditing donors to Mitt Romney's campaign or affiliated groups uh, in supporting organizations. But it's almost as much of a scandal that the IRS has so much power that it might not even need that kind of political direction. That the President's own words targeting groups that are opposed to his agenda will give the signal to unaccountable unelected officials within the IRS who have a tax code that is so complicated and so burdensome and vast so much grants them so much vast discretion that they can then single out individual American citizens. So we certainly 
have to get to the bottom of what happened, but I think we also need to take this opportunity to roll back a tax code that is too burdensome and also to use it as a symbolic example of all the other problems that the modern regulatory state has created for individual Americans, for small businesses, for big businesses, for everyone who gets caught up in the snare of the federal government's debt. That's one reason why I ran for Congress and one thing that I hope to accomplish while I'm here. Again, I want to thank you all for letting me come speak to you. Uh, it's great to see some old faces uh, and great to meet some new friends as well. Thank you. I was asked by a reporter the other day, thank you, Tom, that was great. Uh, at a after a hearing on the small business draft that we, we had a hearing on, it was Wednesday in the, the uh, Select Revenue Subcommittee, I was asked a question about the IRS, first question about the IRS scandal. And, and she went on to, to have this long-winded question about the scandal and how it was taken away from the hearing. And I made a smart aleck remark that the fact that she was asking me about the IRS scandal and not the small business draft that we just completed this wonderful hearing on uh, provided the point that the press want to talk about the IRS scandal as a distraction rather than moving forward on comprehensive tax reform. I will tell you, I, I ran into a Democrat operative in my chance in Columbus yesterday before I, before I uh, flew over here, and she was talking about all the different things that were happening over the last week, and she said, my fear is, is that our best defense is incompetence. And going into 2014, that doesn't give me much <laughs> Our best defense being incompetence. That was her worst, not mine. <laughs> Our next uh, member, new member, is a native of Florida. Ron DeSantis worked his way through Yale University where he graduated magna cum laude and was the captain of the varsity baseball team. He was recruited to run for Congress by Joe Barton and John Chipkiss to improve our odds in this year's day. <laughs> he also graduated with honors from Harvard. That was not true, by the way. He also graduated with honors from Harvard Law School, and while at Harvard, Ron earned a commission in the United States Navy as a JAG officer. He served as a military prosecutor supporting operations at the Terrorist Detention Center in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, deployed to Iraq during the 2007 troop surge as an advisor to the U.S. Navy SEAL commander. His military awards include the Bronze Star Medal. He currently serves on the Foreign Affairs Judiciary and will play a starring role in the Oversight and Government Reform Committee this week. Please welcome from Florida, Ron DeSantis. So it's, so it's not true, I was not recruited uh, because of baseball, but when I got elected, and even actually when I, after I won the primary, when I started coming up here for a vanguard, then orientation, and then swearing in, I would have guys who had gotten a whiff of my bio come up to me and say, man, you're just the guy we need. You're gonna do so well in Congress, we're so glad to have you. 
it took me a while to figure out, but it wasn't because of my academics, legal knowledge, military, not any of that. It was because they need some juice in the lineup. They need <laughs> so I'm doing it. The problem is, is the first practice, I, and I'm missing practice today for this, by the way. First practice, I threw um, about 100 pitches in the bullpen and then the hitters. Felt great. I hadn't thrown really in 10, 12 years. The problem is the next day, two days, two weeks, um, it's been, so I think I'm finally back there. Um, I also tweaked the hamstring, running the first. I think that's healed. Um, but, you know, we're doing good. We had a scrimmage game on Friday, and I said, oh, look, I'm not going to be able to run the bases, really. So the first pitch, I hit a home run over the left field wall. And uh, so I could jog. The problem is now they expect me to hit four home runs. It's just not the way baseball works. But um, I'm really honored to be here. I think um, as I just being in Congress now for four or five months, and thinking back also to, to the roots of the Republican Party, you know, when you look at Lincoln's rise, he really rooted all of what he was doing in the founding principles of the country. So he was ushering in change, but it was conservative change rooted in what the founding fathers believed, what the, the principles that the Constitution reflected. And so those are things that I talked about when I ran, but I talked about them mostly in terms of issues, in terms of legislation, I think it's been alluded to today, if we're now, I think, having to vindicate some of those principles in terms of exercising our oversight function. Because part of having a constitutional government, I believe, is that you have an accountable government. James Madison in the Federalist 51 said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither internal nor external constraints on government would be necessary. And he rejected the idea that angels govern men, and he rejected the idea that you don't need internal or external constraints on government. And so what I've seen, I guess the biggest thing that's impressed upon me, is really the lack of accountability uh, that we have throughout the federal bureaucracy and the executive branch. And I think it's something that the founding fathers uh, would have been very disturbed to see. Yeah, I was in the Navy. If a Navy captain is uh, captaining a vessel, and that vessel runs aground, He's gone. It doesn't matter. These guys graduate from the Naval Academy. They win awards. They do great things. There's no real way that you can actually make sure that no nobody under your command, 500 people, ever makes a mistake. That happens. But ultimately, somebody's held accountable for that. And so I would think about that when I was in the military. See, you know, sometimes that's not fair because sometimes some of these commanders are good. You can't control everything that people do. But the flip side of that is what I'm seeing now is that nobody is held responsible for anything. And the IRS uh, commissioner to testify, knowing he was gonna be asked these questions, and saying, you know, I haven't really, I don't really have the names of anyone who was responsible for anything. I just don't know, I gotta get back to you on that. Um, you know, to me, that is just very, very troubling. And so, this oversight function, I think, is important. I think we make a huge mistake if we're trying to generate political outcomes, thinking that it'll help us politically, or that we're trying to, to bring somebody down or that. Uh, I think it's, it's necessary if we're just trying to find the truth and hold individuals accountable. Um, and so I think we need to see more of that uh, in, in, in this government. And I'm on oversight, we're doing IRS tomorrow, we did Benghazi. That was disturbing too because nobody really knows 
what was going on during this time. People haven't really stepped up um, and accepted responsibility um, you know, for some of this. So part of that, I think, is just there's an ethos in this town of mistakes were made, passive voice, systemic failures in the bureaucracy, rather than the buck stopping with individuals. But I think also we have to do our job in Congress uh, to hold folks accountable. So I'm really glad to be here. I think that we uh, have a lot of great folks uh, in our Republican conference. I think 2014 uh, will be positive for us if we just stick with pursuing the truth, pursuing pro-growth economic policies, understanding that a lot of folks are still hurting out there um, and they care about these pocketbook <coughs> issues. Um, and so I look forward to the uh, to remainder of this term and, and coming back for some more. So thanks for having me. Thank you, Ron. Make sure that hamstring heals good, bud. <laughs> uh, Ron mentioned the oversight function. Uh, I read an article last week in the Columbus Dispatch about a young man who founded an a internet business in Cincinnati, Ohio, who had been one of the leaders in starting the Cincinnati Tea Party, then kind of backed away. Last year, he found out that he was question number 26 and a questionnaire that had been sent out to a organization in suburban Cincinnati in John Boehner's district, a township that was applying for 501c3 status, not c4 status. There were 94 questions. He was question 26. And the question was, what is your relationship with Justin Thomas? They didn't know Justin Thomas. They'd heard of him before because he had started the Tea Party in Cincinnati, but had not been involved anymore. So Justin contacted the IRS last year and said, hey, how come I'm on this questionnaire that you sent to this organization that's applying for 501c3 status? And the official reply he got back from the IRS was, we don't name individuals in questionnaires. So having a copy of the questionnaire with his name on it, he went to his congressman, Gene Schmidt, so she went to the IRS and asked them, why would you put this person's name in a questionnaire? They said, we don't put people's names in questionnaires. So she went back and she gave him a copy of the questionnaire saying, you did put his name in the questionnaire. Why would you do that? The reply was, under law, we can't disclose any information regarding an individual without his permission or without the organization's permission tell you to give you an answer. I met Justin last week. He still doesn't know to this day why he was question 26. He's never been audited. He has a business. Uh, he's never committed a crime. He has no idea why he was question 26. We can't find out to this day from the IRS why this, this guy was question 26. And the only reason why he came out swinging publicly is because he, he wants an answer as to why they put him as question 26. So it's uh, pretty scary stuff when we talk about the, the, uh, the IRS matter here. And, and our job is oversight, to, to Ron's po uh, point, over what's happened and, and what else has happened with respect to the IRS. So that uh, leads me to, to the next lawyer. I don't know what it is about lawyers today. <laughs> three, three of them. <coughs> David Joyce was born and raised in Northeastern Ohio and on received his undergraduate degree and his JD from the University of Dayton. Following graduation, he began work as a public defender before being appointed 
prosecutor of Genoa, of Geauga County in northeastern Ohio. Dave has served as prosecutor, by the way, served as prosecutor for over 20 years. In fact, some of his cases and trial works have been featured on national shows like 48 Hours and Forbes Magazine named Geauga County one of the best counties in, the, in America to raise a family, citing their incredibly low crime rate. In November of 2012, he was elected to Congress to represent the 14th District of Ohio, replacing Steve Bocheret, thereby having the distinction of providing the most improved constituent services to prosecutors when they were both prosecutors in Northeastern Ohio, Stephen Lake County and David Jaga County. He's got a great family, uh, met his wife, he and David Valadeo now are the two freshman members of the freshman class on the once powerful appropriations committee. <laughs> <laughs> and we have recognized and have come up Mr. David Joyce. And uh, I'm just glad when I look at the list of heavy hitters you had, you went in alphabetical order, because if I had to follow Ann, I'd feel like the guy who got up and took a call third and the bases were loaded. So uh, <laughs> I can guarantee you that I wasn't uh, drafted for my athletic prowess. Uh, but I am very uh, honored to be here today. And, and I was, uh, a year ago at this time, I didn't plan on being in Congress. I was a uh, prosecutor in a small county that uh, just outside of Cleveland, Ohio and working on a case where there was a high school shooting. And uh, I came home from work that day and I told my wife I was done. I had 25 years in this, but I'm gonna finish this case and I'm done, I'm gonna go on. I didn't have any plans of being a judge or anything else. I've been working in party stuff my whole life. Uh, I started off when I first came home from law school working for then Mayor Boyevich in a, uh, a phone bank down the basement and worked with uh, him on the ground floor as a man for governor and senator and met a lot of fine people along the way, including Congressman Lazzaretta who I got appointed in January of 1988. Uh, at 29, I was the youngest prosecutor in the state of Ohio, and Steve, and I, Steve was running in Lake County, and we became good friends. And I worked on his campaign in 94, and he was in a different district. I was represented by Sherrod Brown, or I should say, Sherrod Brown was in the district, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we weren't necessarily represented. <laughs> and uh, eventually, our two office, our, our county merged into Steve's district, and it, we've been uh, tremendously represented since then. Uh, one of the first times when Steve decided he was going to retire, I said I wanted to jump in because I wanted to enjoy public service, and this was a tremendous way to go on. And when I told him, he first got the double take, he are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm sure. It's something I really want to do. I said, okay, I'll help you. And he was very helpful the whole time after I, I went through a process, there was 40 some odd candidates, and I was unanimously appointed to take his seat on the ballot. And uh, after I got elected, I said, what now? He said, follow T-Berry around. <laughs> <laughs> To Patrick's chagrin, I've been like a cheap suit on him ever since. <laughs> <laughs> if I have any questions, I know where to find common sense in the back row of the house with uh, Pat. But it, it, the things I really care about most, obviously, is representing Northeastern Ohio and working together on making sure that the, uh, we take care of the Great Lakes. 20% of the, uh, the world's uh, fresh water supply is very important. And the first time I showed up in my interior subcommittee uh, hearing, 
uh, Mike Simpson started laughing and said, just when I thought I got rid of La Tourette and saved $300 million towards the Great Lakes, he has to go get somebody to come here and fight just as hard as he is. So, but that's very important. But it's very important, and I say to all of you as I close here one thing. Again, I was a prosecutor, and I want to help. But don't presume that I know your issues. If you have something you want me to help on, please send this stuff to my office ahead of time. Uh, you'll find like my staffers do much to their chagrin. I read everything I get in the morning and then I grill them on it because I want to know both sides of the issue so I can come to the right conclusion, do what's right for you, do what's right for my district, and do what's right for our country. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. I appreciate the opportunity to serve you all, and thank you very much. So one of my political mentors is a, a lady that some of you might recognize the name around here. Her name is Joanne Davidson. Joanne Davidson was uh, the committee woman, RNC committee woman, when Mike Duncan was the chairman. And she uh, was my mentor when she was the minority leader in the Ohio House and then became the speaker of the Ohio House when I was in the legislature. First woman speaker in our state. One of the smartest people you'd ever meet. Great political skills. Uh, darn, just common sense she's just great so last um, we get together for dinner once a quarter so last year before the election she said Pat have you met Ann Wagner and I said yeah I met her at some of that you really got to get to know her she's fabulous <coughs> really oh my goodness she she will she will get in there and she will be a absolute star she will be fantastic you can learn a lot from Ann Wagner I said, okay, that's, that's awesome. So, Greg Walden comes up to me one day and says, hey, will you be part of the Metro program again? I said, sure. Uh, Dave Joyce has already asked me to be his mentor, so I'll just do Dave Joyce. He's like, no, I don't want you to do anything from Ohio. We'll get you somebody else. <laughs> All right, <laughs> whatever. I'm still going to be his mentor anyway because he comes up to me every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, Greg comes up to me and says, hey, will you be a mentor for Ann Wagner? I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. I said, did Joanne Davidson call you? <laughs> Who's Joanne Davidson? Said, Never mind. I said, yeah, absolutely. And Ann has, uh, Ann has been a great mentor to me. And she really has incredible political skills. Uh, she is delightful, to quote Nick Calio, she's fun. She's normal, uh, she's just great. And so while I get to be officially her mentor, I got the best deal in the, in the Congress because I get to learn from Ann Wagner who actually uh, started working in the family business in retail carpet uh, in Manchester, Missouri, so that explains a lot. Uh, she got a degree from the University of Missouri. And as some of you know, in addition to her uh, private sector experience, she has incredible political experience as well, serving nine years as a Lafayette Township Committee woman. She was chair of the Missouri Republican Party and also successfully led Lloyd Blunt's Senate campaign, and also served four years as U.S. Ambassador to Luxembourg for President George W. Bush. In her first term right now, she was chosen earlier this year by her 34 Republican freshman colleagues as their freshman representative to our leadership, which we are benefiting from. 
She currently serves on the Financial Services Committee. And to hit cleanup, the non-lawyer of the bunch. Yes, amen. <laughs> Success I, I have is because of his uh, tremendous uh, uh, leadership and uh, and skills that he's been working with me on. Um, no, I'm I'm not a lawyer. I'm married to one, but I'm not a lawyer. I did not go to Harvard or Yale. I, I went to that wonderful public institution uh, of of Mizzou. Um, I did not have the privilege of uh, serving my uh, my country um, uh, in the military. However, I have a son. Uh, West Point grad who is heading off uh, to Afghanistan to, to the Kunar region this week, so I'll keep him in your prayers. I have survived high school and college graduations this weekend, <laughs> and an 18-year-old daughter, insufferable that she is, that uh, um, uh, will go on to college and hopefully finish God willing. Um, <laughs> um, gosh, I, I can't, I, I, I have no athletic skill whatsoever. In fact, what I have really accomplished in my four or five months here uh, is tearing my right rotator cuff, lifting my bag into the overhead. Um, so I'm absolutely pathetic uh, in any, uh, like no, no softball, uh, nothing, nothing of, the, of the kind. But I represent Missouri's 2nd Congressional District, which is basically St. Louis County and a little bit of the exurb area. We went from nine to eight congressional seats, so we had a big redistricting. Um, no, I am not the new Todd Aiken. Um, <laughs> uh, one from a, probably an R plus 11 to an R plus uh, three uh, uh, seat, and uh, it is me. It is suburban women is what this seat is. I care deeply about uh, jobs and the economy and, and the issues that are important uh, around the kitchen table uh, of, the, of the second district. It's a privilege to be on financial services. And uh, uh, I serve on the capital markets and oversight uh, subcommittees there. We are doing our best to unwind Dodd-Frank that touches everything. Dodd-Frank touches everything in this room and every person in this room. It is absolutely remarkable. So whether uh, we are, are uh, working on that project or too big to fail uh, issues, uh, no more taxpayer bailouts, whatever it is, oversight is important. And I think we've talked a lot about that. And, and I want to highlight the fact that what this Congress is doing. Some, words, some weeks, upwards of 66 oversight hearings a week. This week, we will do 44 as a uh, Congress and a Republican-led uh, Congress, but we are really shining a bright light and bringing uh, these departments uh, uh, and, their, uh, and many others uh, to the Hill to talk about uh, uh, how we improve government and get it out of our lives. We've seen, you know, we've seen what has transpired over the last uh, week. I would say it's been just a buildup over the last uh, four to five years. Uh, which is uh, not just the difference between big government versus limited government, but is an arrogance, an absolute arrogance uh, that is prevalent through this administration uh, and a, a failure of leadership, uh, a failure of, of leadership. Um, uh, when you have a president that promotes fear and failure and is so disjointed, not only from our conference and our uh, Republican Party, but from his own um, his own Democrat Party and, and other leadership uh, here uh, on the Hill, and I think with the American people, this is the trickle-down effect uh, that we see of real, um, of real arrogance there. I have the privilege of serving at the leadership table uh, on behalf of the, of the freshman class, and it's been marvelous to work on strategy 
and several issues, um, uh, they're a, a pleasure to bring their issues to light uh, and, and the concerns that they have. The 113th are doers, and I'm a doer. We want to get things done. And um, uh, I've also had the opportunity to sit at that table and, and, and work on messaging. I believe we, I don't know when we became the party not of the hardworking middle class, but that's who we need to be. And every time one of my college, colleagues speaks, I say, close your eyes, say it again, and pretend like you're talking to a 37-year-old single mother of two who's trying to make it to the 15th and the 30th of the month. Say it again, because we have an answer. We have policies. We have principles that will lift her up and help her um, uh, have a better way of life. So we have to work on our messaging. We have to work on some of our strategy. Um, we also have to work on keeping our majority. And I'm a, I'm a political hack, as Maria Sino would, uh, would attest to, and Nick, and a whole lot of others in this uh, room that I've had the, the distinct privilege of working um, with and for uh, over the last tw probably 20 years in politics and, um, and public service. Uh, we've got targets on our back. It's, uh, it's important, the work that we're doing at the NRCC. I have the pleasure of uh, working on candidate recruitment there, along with many other things. And I want to thank you all. I want to thank you all for the principles and ideals that you um, uh, advanced. Thank you, Jim, so much, wherever Jim is, for uh, uh, pulling us all uh, together here. Thank you, and, and to Pat for uh, inviting me and, and seeing that my, my, my wonderful mentor got me a, uh, an invitation here uh, uh, this morning. Uh, it's important that we keep these majorities. It's important that you all provide the resources that we need, resources in terms of information and ideas and um, and things that we will, will help us govern and legislate uh, better. So I thank you for the opportunity uh, to be with you this morning, and I look forward to, um, to many years of learning from all of you. So my pleasure. So there you have it, four uh, superstars. I'm so glad that your classmates elected you into that position. We are better for it. So if we just recap, Ann Wagner, who uh, member of the Financial Service Committee, obviously Mr. Hanna is a veteran member of that, that committee from New York State, uh, just uh, doing a great job for us, glad you're at the leadership table. Longtime prosecutor, David Joyce, making us all forget about Steve Lacherette. <laughs> Ron DeSantis, the great white hope for our baseball <laughs> And I forgot to mention the introduction, Tom Cotton, the fastest runner in Congress. In your back, you just barely beat out Billy Long. <laughs> Thank you, all four of you, for being here today, showing showing some folks around town what uh, what quality members we do have. Oftentimes, I hear from a lot of you that sometimes the quality of the bar isn't that high. Today, we we show you how high the bar is in our freshman class because these four are truly not only just great individuals but they're superstars. So thank you all for being here. Jim.